Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham, and today's guest is someone who I am so excited to have on because he's the only man I know who has survived a plane crash. And uh, he has an incredible story. I know when I had met him and I was starting the podcast, I really, he was one of the first people I put down on that master list that I've mentioned in these podcasts uh, coming up here because not only was he one of the last guys off the airplane, um, the miracle of the Hudson, uh, he is well known and very successful in a whole bunch of different areas and helping thousands. Thank you, uh, Dave Sanderson, for being on the podcast today. Allison, I'm truly excited to be with you, and I, I'm so glad you invited me on. I'm so, so happy to be with you today. Thank you. And I'm so glad that this time I pushed record. That'll make a difference. That will It'll make, make a, difference. a difference. So for those of you who know that you missed out on something, you have that little gut reaction in your thing and saying, like, this isn't the first time this intro has happened, and I wish I knew what Allison said the last time. It's it's a good thing because it, it's true. Your intuition is right because I forgot to push record. But I, okay, let me go through here. I want to just read part of your, your main bio and then okay. we can go into our chit chat and talk about all the great things that you have to share with the Resilience Ninja listeners. And if you are listening and you love this, please do not forget to subscribe, to share, and to write a review if you're open to that. Would love you to share the Resiliency Ninja movement across the globe. So here we go. Dave Sanderson is the president of his firm, Dave Sanderson International, based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. On January 15th, 2009, as I just mentioned, Dave was one of the last passengers off the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, best known as the Miracle on the Hudson. And he was actually one of the last guys off the plane and helped a lot of people get out safely. So we want to talk about that. In addition to speaking, mentoring, coaching, and training, Dave conducts workshops in a much, is a much sought after podcast celebrity, as is evidenced by the fact that he is on the Resiliency Ninja podcast. Right, Dave? Most definitely. (laughs) And the author of the best-selling book, titled Moments Matter. He has a radio show on Contact Talk Radio and C-Suite Radio, where, by the way, you can also find the Resiliency Ninja podcast. And it is his is called Moments Matter with Dave Sanderson and his daily flash briefing on Amazon Alexa, titled Dave Sanderson Declassified. I love that. I like to say that dramatically. I like the way you said it. I may have to have you do my introductions on that. <laughs> we might what? have to. So welcome to the show. This is awesome because uh, we have so many different things to talk about, but let's start in the obvious spot, the airplane. Okay. The, the crash. Are we calling it a crash? I call it a crash. The NTSB calls it a plane ditching, but they weren't on the plane, so they can call it whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, well, sometimes people like to make, take language and soften it so we could even call it the um the the express water landing on the yeah so it's a cushion down what was going through your mind in that moment well the moment i think that started really coming together was when we crossed over the george washington bridge that's when everything started coming to life for me because canley at that point allison i just thought we were going back to LaGuardia. i knew something had happened because i was in seat 15a and I saw fire coming out from the left wing. 
So then something happened. But till I, we crossed over the bridge, and see, we only cleared the George Washington Bridge by roughly 400 feet. The bridge is roughly 600 feet up, so we're roughly at 1,000 feet at that point. So when we crossed the bridge, I looked out the window, and all of a sudden I could see people's faces looking up. I'm like, whoa, we're pretty close. And all of a sudden, all you can, all you can see in front of us is water. It's like, this is not going to turn out really good. So that's the moment I realized that it probably wasn't going to turn out good, and I may not uh, – I may have my last day on earth. I – until about three years ago, you know, when I was younger, was scared to death of flying. Right. Like I, I don't know if I ever thought that there was going to be a crash in my life, but it was like this, like a real phobia. Now I love it. I'm used to it. It's like, great. It's getting me where I need to go. But did you ever have that fear sensation of no, that? Well, like, no, my, you know, my dad took us all on a plane when I think it was like six or seven. So that was my first flight. So I love flying. And Kaylee, I was flying over a hundred times a year for 20 some years for my jobs. So I was just, I was one of those guys that I had no fear of flying at all. It, it was just, a, like you said, just a convenience. Uh, but now I have a lot more respect for it. And were you the person who always ignored the safety instructions? Most definitely. I never listened to them whatsoever because I knew everything. So what happens at that moment? Because you, like, you didn't get out of the plane right away, though. You did, I don't think you followed the directions, which are I, like basically get the hell out. I did not. I you know, I, I did brace. I figured out how to brace, uh, of course, because I didn't read the boarding card. I didn't know how to brace, but quickly I figured that out because when you're going down, you like, just hold on to something, right? Uh, but, yeah, I was I – mean, basically my game plan was just get to the aisle, get up, and get out. When I when we finally survived the crash, you know, that's my first thought, get to the aisle, get up, get out, because water was coming in immediately. We we were anywhere from, anywhere from ankle to waist-deep water, depending on where you were on the plane, and I was towards the back of the plane. But – so what changed for me, Allison, was when I got to the aisle, all of a sudden my mom, I heard my mom's voice in my head, because my mom had passed away in 1997. But there was something when I was just a kid, she would tell me that then all of a sudden just popped into my head. And it was like, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And I tell people, after I thought about that for a while, one thing I realized about my mother is she never really told me what to do she would always make me make a choice or a decision. And I think that was one of the great things my mother instilled in me. I can't really think that I as a parent and even who some of the parents I know don't do enough that we don't let our kids make mistakes or make the call. We make the call for them. But my mother would always let me make the call. And so it was like, you're not a bad guy if you get off the plane, but do, do what you think is right. And to me, you help other people because the way I grew up, I grew up in a small town in Ohio where I was always around a group of guys and the group of guys Alice and I hung with always had each other's backs. I mean, we, we ran together, right? So we always had each other's backs. So that's why I went towards the back of the plane, climbed over the seats, see if I needed help and got behind us. But Kaylee, at that point, Allison, it was just, I was like everybody else, let's get out of the plane, right? So when I got up to the window 10F, I saw a light. So I was getting out like just about everybody else. But when I got there, I looked down, and there was no room on the wing or that boat for me. So that's why I was inside the plane, waist deep in 36-degree Fahrenheit water for roughly about seven to eight minutes. My gosh. And I guess there's the, the initial reaction, because I'm sure you talk about this as you give from stages about resilience, right? Like, right. So there's the initial reaction, and then there's the absorbed reaction, right? And it sounds like you know, instinct take took over and then another level of instinct help people 
stay stay tight here, let other people get on the wing, that kind of thing yeah. sort of kicked in for you. Yeah, and I think it's a, that's a great way to look at staging because I think and that's why I called the book Moments Matter is because one of the, one thing I realized is all these moments in my life that I went through all these things, you know, they were in my life now for a reason because it made me help me make the right decisions, at least on my value set at each stage of how to how to respond. And whether it was when I was in Boy Scouts and had to swim across the river to get to the other side or when I was with Tony Robbins and I had to you know, manage my state and be head of security for him or whether I was you know, whether it was being able to learn how to swim and to use those lessons that I learned how to swim and employ them. So I think, yes, every stage had a different kind of mentality because how am I going to get through this one? How am I going to get through this one? All the way through even the triage center, because that's where all stuff started breaking loose for me. I mean, there were things going, stages going on the entire time. And Haley, I thought I was dead when I got to the triage center because, you know, when the guy came up to me and asked my name and date of birth and I was naked, sitting on the floor. And, you know, all I had was my underwear on. And all of a sudden, he takes my ankle and he walked away. And the only thing I could associate to that was the TV show MASH. And in the TV show MASH, when they tagged your toe, you were dead. And I said, you know, all this is just a dream. I, I said, I finally said, the movie Ghost is true, where you watch yourself die and you're just watching it and no one's talking to you. And I think that was the moment, all these stages, that you had to bounce back. You had to be resilient. Because all of a sudden, now you're not dead, but all of a sudden, your health is going down pretty quick. So, fortunately, you know, I think all these moments in our life prep us for that. And that's why it's important to be able to recognize that, that as things go on. Because you're going to be given choices in each moment of a, of a situation, you know, which I call a personal plane crash. It's going to be up to you on how you choose to respond, and there's ways to do it. And that's why you need to learn how to do it, because you're ready for that moment comes. Well, and your book, Moments Matter, really dives deep into this and right. talks. I, I enjoyed reading your book, so uh, thank you for that. Because we met, how long ago did we meet? I can't even remember. It's about 18 months ago when we were in Toronto, I think was the first physically time we met face to face. Is that right? My gosh, time does fly. Yep. And you know, to that point, the whole idea of Moments Matter, now before you went through the miracle on the Hudson, uh, tell me about your moments. Yep. Like, were you just kind of going through the motions of life? Yeah, that's like everybody else. I think everybody's just going through the motions, right? And, and candidly, you know, all the, uh, there's a lot of things and, you know, we all have these situations in our life that come up, right? And we get through them. It's like, oh, that's nice. And we just move on. But then something happens major, right? And, you know, whether you have your situation or I have my situation, I'll say, think back. It's like, maybe that moment was in my life for a reason. And the one I really point to and I talk about a lot when I talk, tell the, the story of from inside the plane was when I had, when I felt the plane shift and I had to make a decision, do I, do I, you know, jump in the river and swim or do I hang tough? And I made the decision to swim. And it's like that moment I spoke about in Boy Scouts when, and when I was going for an award and we had to swim across the river with our backpacks on and everything to get to the other side. Or we had the choice of walking down the bank and going across the bridge, but we decided to swim because we want to get done quicker. I said, maybe that was the moment. Back when I was 12 years old, the God, God was preparing me to say, you know what? You may never need this, but if you do, you know, have the certainty now to be able to swim across a river. It's got heavy currents to be able to accomplish something. And that's, I said, so I looked at each one of these moments through that plane situation. It's like these, all these moments in my life meant something. And now they all came to fruition that one that one day. 
when something that that is dramatic happens, I all like it, it all came to fruition that day. And then what about the rest of the days? Like, do you feel like that was a bit of a peak in your life? Like, or a di- like maybe not a peak. I mean, it's a negative, but like it, you kind of had to redefine your life after that, right? That's most definitely. That's exactly what happened. What it was a it was a basically a, a slap across the face because that's after I came back and finally things settled down after all the media and everything else started calming down. And after a couple months, I started looking at them like you know. This doesn't define me, but this really woke me up, and I realized that Kaylee, I was going off focus, and I, I looked at it as like I'm living my my dad's life. In my dad's life, when I grew up back in the '60s and you know, early '70s, was he leave, he go to work, he'd come back on Friday, you know, be there the weekend, and leave again, and he was doing the right thing because back in the '60s, the model living in the '60s, you're too young to know this, Allison, was your dad went out and worked, your mom stayed home with the kids and raised the kids, dad brought home the money. And everything was good because you're now you're going to high school, you're going to college, and that's that's the life after World War II. That's what our parents grew up with. So I was like, that same thing was happening. It's like I would go off. I was making a lot of money. Yeah, I made a lot of money, right? But I was missing so much things with my kids and not being around. And all of a sudden, I realized number one, I um I was missing so many things. And one of my kids were you know upset with me a lot of times, you know, or we were having some challenging relationships with my daughter, you know. Oh, I said, maybe if I just changed that, and I, so I flipped the model. So the, what happened, one of the things that changed the most after the plane crash was I flipped the model where I used to schedule my time around my business because that's what my company wanted me to do, and I fit in family time whenever I could, to now I schedule everything around my family time, and I'll fit everything else in. Like if Kaylee, Allison, and my wife, my kids said, we have the day at 4 o'clock, this day where they were doing this, we got to be doing something at school, you and I would have rescheduled this because priorities had to change. And that was the biggest eye-opening experience I had. And was that an immediate shift for your family? Like how they responded to that? Yeah. And what I would say it was, it was, it was phased, but pretty immediate. It was more of an impact for my, my, my job. They didn't like it. <laughs> I guess not. They didn't like it. And candidly, you know, um, part of the story is my manager, my regional manager asked me to fly to Michigan that next week. And, I should have been on a plane. I should have been anywhere close to an airport, but I did it because that's what you do. And that's what, that's, that's the trip that I realized. Cause you know, my, and my vice president told me, so you didn't have to go. You didn't want to, but I did because it was my job. Right. And that's why I, I was up in Michigan. I didn't have a coat house and I lost my coat in the river. I had no, I had, they had to give me a coat in Michigan. I, it was like 10 degrees, you know, Fahrenheit. It was cold. And I was like, I'm doing all this for my company. And my family's back there dealing with all this. I said, this has got to change. And that was the trip that changed everything for me. Wow. And then from that moment on, so did you up and quit your job? No. Now I still had four kids get to college. Okay. You know? so, so you were responsible about it. See, I would, be, I would do something like that. Eh? I'd be like, I don't want this anymore. I quit. But you, you were wife, thoughtful. My wife likes benefits, especially health insurance. All right. Fair enough. Fair you enough. Remember, that was when Obamacare was coming in the United States. And there was oh, right. so much uncertainty around that. So I had to be very conscious to make the move at the right time. And I had to have her blessing. And I finally got her blessing to do it. Well, and I think though that too is, you know, there'll be resiliency ninja listeners out there who are living in a corporate world where, you know, cause I get a lot of calls from people who are, I would consider very high achieving professionals. Yeah. 
who really have a drive to be a business owner and they're not willing to take that leap. So how, how do you do that? Well, that, that's a great question. That's one of the things I coach people on now because people come to me with that question all the time. I said, how did you go from corporate world to stage so quickly? How did you do it? And how did you give that all up? Because as you and I were talking before, and I was making some pretty significant money. I was a top producer at one of the biggest software companies in the world. So I was, I hate to use the word banking it, but I was banking it. But I gave it up because all of a sudden my value set changed. It's like, you know what? You know, I, I said, you know, if I, if I do it the right way, and if I go back to do what my mentor taught me to do, and this my, my first mentor came into my life back in 1986. Now, we'll talk about that later. But, yeah. you know, whenever I, I, I went on the principles that he taught me, I was always made it. I said, you know, I got to have confidence in myself, but I still had to have money. So I did bank some things away. So I had at least a couple months of runway. But, you know, the thing I think it changed everything is my wife gave me the blessing to do it. She got in with me. See, after that point, she wasn't in with me, right? I mean, we're pretty comfortable, right? Right. And that's, that's good stuff. But it took a drastic change in our life lifestyle to do this. But dad's home now. Dad, dad's around. And it's what's changed our relationship. So I think there's a trade-off, and there will be a trade-off when you do it. You, nothing comes for free. You know, I, and I, I look at the book, and one of the books I read, I actually give people this book, Alice, and I'll give, I'll give, next time I see you, I'll give you this book. It's about the four quadrants, like Robert Kiyosaki's four quadrants, right? Oh, yes. yes yeah, yes. And, it's, and, it's, and, it, and it sort of woke me up. It's like, you know what? I'm living in this quadrant, but I'm not truly free to I get to this quadrant. How can I do it? And I did it just like you just said a few minutes ago in stages. I went from corporate to self-employment to building a business, you know? And that's, that's the strategy that I use. And it took, it's still, we're in, we're in year number five now and we're making the turn, but you got to have persistence and hang in there. So it took some time then, because if yep. the miracle on the Hudson was in 2009, we're yep. sitting here in 2018 yep. and you've been in business for five years. So that was some planning. That was some yep. deep soul searching, getting the ducks in a row. It wasn't immediate. February 1st, 2014 is when my, I made the call. We did it. Okay. And so we're going into our fifth year right now. And yeah, it was, but there was some planning involved likewise. And, but I, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. And one of the mistakes that I made was I didn't have the right team around me who had the common value set, who understood the mission. And not that they were bad people. They just weren't the right people to be helping me get to where I needed to be. So now you look at my team now, which you know a number of the people on my team personally, I have people who understand the mission and know how we're going to go about doing it and serving people at a higher level, which has made the difference in everything. So how do you figure out somebody's the right team member though? Well, I actually went back to something that Tony Robbins taught me and he teaches everybody. So this is not, not unique knowledge, but you know, I always, I always try to understand somebody's value sets. And, you know, I just got off a call a few minutes ago. We were talking about this one, talking about, you know, living up to your value sets and making decisions based on mission value, your mission value decision-making. And that's what I started to do. And, you know, I had a great assistant, but unfortunately she wanted to get married, which wasn't good for me. But that's all right. She had to do what she had to do. But I started asking this question, how, you know, and I asked, and this is the question I kept asking myself that day on the plane now. So this is a little insight to what happened on the plane. Because when we were going down, I had to talk to myself. One of the things I could ask, how can I add even more value and enjoy the process? How can I even add more value to enjoy the process? So I ask everybody, how can, how can I add even more value to you and you enjoy the process? And if it, the answer is not aligning with what my value set is, 
okay, I'll be your friend, but you can't be a part of my team. Hmm. So I've had this happen before where you think the values are aligned yep. because people know what to say. Right. And then you get into a relationship, a partnership, a, you know, a, a product, whatever you're doing together. And you really don't know and can't tell until you're in the trenches, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, like, were you good at seeing the red flags right away? So, yeah, so here's a little more insight. So, you know, one of the, one of the most highest, one of the highest privileges I've had in my life is to be the security director for Tony Robbins. You know, being around not only him, but the people that he hung with. And being around those kind of people, they're very good at intuition on how to read people, right? And so they, that, I, I started absorbing some of those traits that I was seeing how Tony evaluated and his people evaluated people to be around him because he, I don't know if you know who Tony Robbins is, but it's hard, it's hard to be around him. Do you know, I know who Tony yeah. Robbins is? I'm a, I'm a fangirl. So, you know, not everybody wants to have access, but not many people get access, right? Absolutely. Because he's, he can sense it a mile away. One thing about Tony is he senses a mile away. And I had the opportunity to have proximity and see how he did that. So I learned some of these things. Uh, of course, you learn by trial and error. Likewise, sometimes you make the right call. Sometimes you make the wrong call. But then you make the you cut bait pretty quick. But the second thing I do now is part of the workshop that I do is, uh, if her, I don't know if you've heard of this Colby testing, but it helps people understand how their mind is wired and why they make the decisions they do. So before people come on board with me now, I give them this Colby test. I'll pay for it. But I understand what's the driving force and how their brain's wired to see quickly. And I've had two or three people that are totally unaligned with me. Great people, nice, nice people, but they were totally unaligned with their mindset. So I basically look at that. Likewise, that's sort of a logical way to make a decision. And I also have the emotional way to make a decision. Right. And I have heard of the Colby test yep. and uh, it is a very uh, well-regarded. I actually think they use that in the strategic coach. They do. Is that's that one of the places? Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Are you a part of the strategic coach? I am not, but one of my business partners is, and that's, he's the one who turned me on to it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I thought about doing it. I, I haven't uh, made that leap, but I, haven't anyway. either. I, I digress. So <laughs> let's talk about Tony Robbins because like okay. he is someone who I followed my whole life. Like I remember when I was in, you know, used to go to rallies and things for Amway when I was like 19 years old, you know, like I remember him from way back then and you know, that whole era. And then had the privilege of going to one of his business seminars for five days in Vegas. And that came out of there with a renewed sense of purpose in my life. And actually the Resiliency Ninja movement, uh, going to his business seminar gave me permission to step out of my I teach sales through wow. profitable relationships box that I've been doing for so many years, my corporate clients, and gave me that permission, I think, or something to say, no, I want to do more than just teach people how to build business. So I am a huge fan. I digress to our interview to share my story with Tony Robbins. But um, when you're hearing him over and over and over again, that's got to rub off, right? Definitely. I tell people and when I talk, I absorb pretty much everything I, you know, he taught me. I mean, he teaches. I mean, I was, I traveled the world with him. And when you're, you're traveling with somebody like that around the world, you're with them a lot, especially internationally. Domestically, it's pretty much in and out. I'd be very candid. It's a pretty quick transaction in and out. 
But when you're globally travel with somebody, you're there and you, you see how the mind is working and you're having conversations at a level you've never played before. That's why I was having some challenges when I go back to my business and working with the company I did is they never understood why I'm playing at a different level. I'm playing, I'm playing in the CFO, CEO suite. And they're playing at the IT management suite. Why? It's because I was having these kind of conversations that Tony was teaching me how to do. And after the plane crash, he's the only person that called me in the hospital that night. And he took me under his wing and was coaching me the entire time on what to expect, how to do it. And finally, a year and a half later, Allison, he's the one who called me into a suite in Chicago and said, I'm kicking you out. It's time for you to do what you need to do. You know, I'll find somebody else to do your job. It's, you know, you're, it's your time. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. He basically in Chicago said, I'll find somebody else, but Dave, time to go. And he's the one who basically gave me the permission, like you said, permission to do what I'm doing now. Isn't that wild? And so he, like, because you had the IT job and you were doing the security job for him. Is that how it worked? That's why now you understand why I was working for money instead of working for my family. Yes, absolutely. That comes full circle. And you understand, I always think I was doing the right thing, right? Improving myself, making money. The family's not, the family never wanted for anything, right? But they did because I wasn't there because I was trying to do the right thing with my thought process, which, which wasn't their thought process. And yet so many people are chasing the money. Yep. I hear it all the time and they're unhappy, but we need the money. Yep. Yep. Money makes it happen. Unfortunately, money makes it happen. And for all of us, I mean, it's for all of us, but you know, you come to a point in your life and you're not there just yet, but you all of a sudden realize that's why I talk about people when I talk and you haven't heard me really talk yet, but you know, especially in the, I talk, talk about people going back in the house fire, right? You know, I talk to fire. I do a lot of work with fire. The last fact that last time I spoke in Toronto was for the fire chiefs of, uh, you know, of Ontario uh, conference. So, and I love firemen, but, you know, you see people run back in their homes after a house fire. I say, they're not going after the gold. They're going after those connection memories, right? They go after the pictures and those things they can't ever replace with money because one thing people realize is it's not about money in that moment. Money will be important later, but in that one moment, it's about those connections that you can never get back if you don't do something quickly. Sometimes it's a physical connection, like, like maybe pictures, or maybe it's a connection with someone's dying. And I've, you know, I've, got, to, I've got to get to Toronto right now. That person's going, I've got to be there. Make sure, make sure that connection is whole before something happens. I, I wonder, what would you go back in and grab? Oh, I definitely go back now and grab the pictures. I mean, especially my, my, my mother's and father's, because my, I have no family left. Yeah. You know, my, my mom and dad are passed. And um, so I'd definitely be going back. To, and that's important. I mean, my wife and I were just talking about this today at we lunch. And there's one thing in our house right now. I told her, I said, if I die, this is the one thing that you got to make sure you take care of. And it's an antique mirror my grandmother had back in the late 1800s. And she gave me. So it's like, like I said, it's not about money. It's about that connection, that feeling you get, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I now I'm to a point now where money is still important, but that's why I'm doing the direct, the direction I'm taking now is totally different than I was three years ago. Okay. So talk to us about that because you, you're still speaking on yep. stages Yep. and we're both in the industry and, and it's not, it's a privilege and it's a grind. Yep. It Being is. On stages. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this year, I, last year I did a, what, 88 and the year before I did 108. This year I'm going to do like 79, right? Which is, sounds like a lot. It's less, but you know, what I realized, and I think I shared this with you off, off, uh, off air was, uh, 
one of the greatest gifts I had in my life is when my first mentor came into my life. This was back in 1986, probably before you were born, Allison. Hey, hey, well, let's not go that far. But 1986. Thanks. I'll, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, he, he, I tell people when I first met Bill, all I knew about Bill when I first met him, he had a flannel shirt. He drove a pickup truck. Mm. And so, you know, Bill is just a good old boy in Charlotte, right? But Bill, I found out Bill, as he sort of got talking to me, he owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. He was a multimillionaire. And Bill, I tell, I tell people, Bill is like the Sam Walton of Walmart in Charlotte. The guy you would never think is the richest guy in Charlotte was now my mentor. And he took me under his wing. And, and one of the things, though, and I, I haven't started, I'm, I'm starting to do this because I promised, made him a promise. He gave me back in 1986, 1987, 1988, his 12 principles of how he became who he was. And he got that from his mentor back in the early 20s who got that from a friend from the early 1900s. So this has been passed down. He asked me right before, last time I saw him, he said, your job now is to find the next Dave. And, you know, I never realized what that meant until recently. It's like, you know, it's my time now to find the next person to hand this off to. Keep it perfect because he gave me these principles that made me tons of money, but more importantly, made me the person I was. So this is what, this is my mission now. You know, money's important, yeah, I mean, I, but I don't speak for money. That's nice, then they pay me. It's nice, as you know, it's nice when they give you a check, but it's now about how I can impact people's lives and using these principles. And I'm going to take only a few people under my wing, and I'm going to teach them these principles that I was taught that go back all the way back, back to the early 1900s from some of the greatest people who were, hate to use the word, you know, magnets back then. They were magnets of, of, of industry back then. And are these things that you would only share from a mentorship perspective or would this eventually become some sort of a book or a, That's a, a public great question. venue? I haven't decided that yet. Right now, it's, I promised Bill that I would pass it on. Uh, and that's a great idea because I haven't thought of that. But, you know, I think that um, right now what I like to do is I, I, look, I like to find like eight people, you know, and just so I can just share this. And the way I do that is through my impact group, which I'm starting now, is I'm sharing different principles in this group. That's why I started the group, because now I can reach more people. Because Kaylee Alice, I, I've, over the last nine years, I've added up, I've, I've, I've touched and speak still to over a thousand people that I've met over the last nine years. And I said, over, over the last couple of months, my team and I are like, what if I could impact a thousand this next year? How, how, what would happen if I did that? And if I could teach these principles, and also I'm thinking, if I did that and I could teach principles to 10 of these people, then I could get up to 100,000 people. So this is my mission, how to, how to impact people and using these principles to get it out in a massive way because Bill didn't do that. Bill took one-on-one. -on -one. But now my goal is to do that. So, you know, I'm sharing that. But one, I'll share with you right now one of the things, first things he taught me, uh, if we have a moment, I'll share one of the ones he taught me. That I'd love to hear it. It's not a principle. It's sort of the mindset, though, because – and he shared this with me. And I'll give you the background because I've never shared this in public before. So you'll get a nugget. So I was managing a restaurant at that point, you know, and uh, when I met Bill. And it was a couple of weeks before Christmas. This is 1986, a couple weeks before Christmas. And Bill asked me to come out to the parking lot of the restaurant. He says, come out here, I want to show you something. I want to show you what I bought my wife for Christmas. And it was a blue Corvette. It was beautiful. And I was like, I said, whoa, that's cool. He said, jump in, we're going to take a ride. He gave me the keys. He said, just make sure you point in the right direction. You hit that thing, it's going to go. So we're, I'm driving a blue Corvette. 
And I, he said, we got back. He said, you need one of these. I said, Bill, I'm making $15,000 a year. I can't afford to even pay my rent. He goes, you need one of these. He said, because success doesn't require any apologies. Mm, success does not require, require the apologies. And that was my first lesson he sort of gave me. It wasn't his principle, but he's like, he wanted to get my mindset. Is You don't have to apologize. He didn't have to apologize for getting his wife a blue Corvette for Christmas, right? And that, because that's the mindset I didn't have. The mindset I had was lack. I can't get, I'll never get it. I'll never be there. But he had to instill that in my mind. It's like, success doesn't require any, any apologies. You don't have to apologize for this. And all of a sudden, I start thinking, that's how I started, started, these lessons started coming. And then he instilled these 12 principles with me. And we sat down for two years going over this housing, like one every month, right? And we just dig into it. And he would explain it in detail to me. So I got it. And all these, all of a sudden, when I got into sales, Allison, is when I started implementing these principles. And all of a sudden, I was a top producer every place I went within the first few months. And the months that I wasn't, I wasn't practicing the principles. I, was, I thought I was too big for my britches, as my mom would say. You know? So that's, that's, that's a little story I've never told before. But that's some of those things that I'll be sharing that, that I think a lot of, especially millennials and Gen Xers, they need to hear this. There's no reason to apologize for, you know, for being successful. No, no, no there isn't. I don't, want, I don't want people to know I'm making this much money. My daughter's that way. I make a, she makes a lot of money. I said, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Tell everybody you're making a lot of money. They want to be, people want to be around successful people. You know? Well, you know, it's interesting because there is a phenomenon where we shrink ourselves and our brilliance to fit what the people around us, the lowest denominator, right? Of what is right. acceptable. And, you know, one of the stories I, I like to tell is uh, when I was in, I guess I must've been grade six or seven. Um, I got, I had a really good year and my parents for Christmas bought me this really cool ski jacket because we used to go skiing, but I grew up around farmland. And so the fact that we went skiing was, you know, a big deal. And I had this really cute ski jacket and somebody cut it on me, uh, like cut a hole in the jacket. And I realized that my success, because that was actually a re reward, was what made other people uncomfortable. Right. And so I went home one day with a test and there were two marks on it, a 97% and a 67%. One was in the teacher's handwriting, one was in my handwriting. And I had literally written on the test 67% and covered my thumb to the 97% so that my friends couldn't see that I did well and I could be accepted. And when we look in, I think, society, we are constantly bombarded with uh, made to feel bad when we step into our brilliance. I totally agree. That's a great story. I totally agree. Yeah, you know, my son's having that issue now. He's a very he's a very smart young man, but he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want, he's not doesn't feel like he's accepted. He's not cool if he's not just average. Right, and you know? so he is. I I think the the message and why it's so important that you're teaching this, I think, is brilliant because people need to learn find new friends. That's right. <laughs> Don't dip yourself and your level. Find new friends. Well, that's why when you and I got to meet. 
I think it was the second time when we met in Toronto at the Hero Club, right? Yeah. That's why that's why I'm a member of the Hero Club and part of that C suite now because you know, sometimes you get you gotta elevate your friends. You know? Sometimes the people you're hanging with will bring you down and not that I had friends are bringing me down, but that's why I belong to these kind of organizations and these groups because I want to hang with people who are going to challenge me, right? I mean, Andre Agassi kept saying, I loved Andre Agassi. It's like, you know, he's always wanted to play Pete Sampras because Sampras were beating. He don't want to play somebody, that, you know, he could beat easily. You want to play at that level. You got, you got to be around it because one of the first lessons Bill taught me was if you want to be anything in your life, put yourself around the peer group you want to be like, they will elevate you to that peer group. And exactly. that was the first lesson he taught me, sort of. When that's, and that's why I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, because he told me that. Isn't that wild? So Tony was a really, so this mentor was the first person who really influenced your yep. thinking around mindset. Yep. And his name was Bill, right? His name was Bill. Okay, awesome. Bill, on. thank you, Bill, for the work you did. And he's passed on. I'm passed on several years ago, yes. Yeah, which is sad. And then Tony Robbins steps in, and yep. he... It fires you up. What were you thinking the first time you saw Tony Robbins? Well, I, it was when I first saw him. I actually went behind stage to get his autograph on a poster, and you know, I was, I was it was a day with Destiny seminar, and I went back there and he sort of looked at me because he and I are the same age. And it's like, and we don't, but there's only 300 people there, Allison, at that point. Now he has 15,000, right? Uh, but he signed that. He sort of looked at me. He sort of grinned and went on. But that's when I went to the next seminar, next seminar, next seminar. And all of a sudden, here I am volunteering for him now. And all of a sudden, I'm on his security team. And now, all of a sudden, he has enough trust in me four or five years later that I'm, I'm traveling the world with him. I'm responsible for his well-being. So I, that's what I tell people. That's why you have to invest in yourself. Because you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who you're going to run into. I mean, who would have thought, Allison, I would speak at the Supreme Court of the United States for Anthony Kennedy and have Anthony Kennedy – who just retired, pull me to his quarters and tell me the three-minute version of the miracle on the Hudson. I'm just some guy from Charlotte, and now I'm sitting in a Supreme Court justice suite. I mean, so you never, you never pass up being around somebody who's better than you, ever. You, but, you, know, you know, so it's interesting, because you say, who would have thought? And my instinct was, is, of course, because I, like, somebody's got to speak, so why the heck wouldn't it be you? Yep. Right? Yeah, now and, I look at it that way. Now I look at it that way. Back to this, like, I... I was just happy to be there. Sure. It would have been shocking. Yeah. And what is neat here is it wasn't an instant. You didn't go from never meeting Tony Robbins to uh, being the head of his security in right. a, a step. Like it wasn't one giant leap for mankind, right? It was like showing up consistently, putting in the effort. Putting the reps in. Putting the reps. Is like, I tell about the story about like Tom Brady, right? He's 40, what, one years old. He's putting the reps in at 41, right? You have to put the reps in to get the outcome. There's no quick fix. If you, even if you want to be around somebody of that level, right? You got to be able to be able to play at that level for them these people to take you take you seriously. So you got to put the time in, just like you said. It's a very good way to say it. One day, one day, I'd love to be a part of his platinum group. Yeah, that's quite a group. All right, they go oh. to some cool places. They go some cool places and they, they spend, what is that? Well, I won't even tell people how much it is, but. You don't want to tell them. No, but it's a little bit of an investment, but you know what? If you're serious about your own personal development, then I guess it's worth it. You want to hang with the best. It's right. It's worth the investment. You got to do that. Okay. I always end the Resiliency Ninja podcast with five fast questions. Okay. 
And our listeners may have figured out that there are actually six questions and I generally only ask four, but anyway, it <laughs> doesn't matter. In some way. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So first one, a book that changed your life. The fourth turning by Strauss and Hal. Without even a pause. I love so, it. Tony, Tony gave why? me that book. He said, read it. And when I was on his team, he said, read it. And I did. And it changed my perspective on how to make decisions. Okay. So the fourth turning turning. Okay. Great. Second question. A time in your career when you pushed through fear. Uh, when I pushed through fear is when I, I was working at KPMG. I had a situation where I had to get something done. I didn't know how to do it. I was a little scared, but I made a call and I thought this could be my career, but it pushed, turned out to be highlight of my, one of the highlights of my career at KPMG. Wow. Okay. Hmm. There's a story there. Yes, there is a story there. Uh, do you want to tell that story? You know, a quick story is that we were actually going uh, for Coca-Cola, the business in Coca-Cola down in Atlanta. And I was new, the new guy on the team. I was responsible for this. So I had to bring it or we we're going to lose it. But the K KPMG had a relationship, a long-term relationship with PepsiCo, PepsiCo up in New York, which is a direct competitor. So not only did we have to persuade the one side of the company to give that relationship up, we had to get the other one or it would have been a loss on both ends. Then we came up with a, uh, came up with another gentleman, a strategy on how to do that. And, what we realized is that we got somebody who was a, an attorney for Coke who could give us guides on how to put agreements together, then maybe we could get to pull, do something different. And we did, and we got the business. Fantastic. Yep. Hmm. Cool. You're on social media, right? Unfortunately, I am. Okay, great. I love your phrasing because I like to ask people, what's your pet peeve on social media that you wish people would stop doing? I am so tired here seeing the political crap on, on social media. I just, it just turns me off. I, you know, it's just so negative. So I wish people would just stop putting their opinions on political stuff because all of a sudden it makes you make a decision on, on what your, what your motives are. Yeah. You know, it's hard, right? Cause the politics and I get really fired up about it now as, and I'm in Canada, so we're not nearly as uh, enlightened as you are down there in the U S. Um, but I've just decided to step away from it because I can't handle uh, the drama that people put out with it. I think that's it, right? And the right. attacks. Right. It's very negative energy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, worst networking story. Worst networking story. Um, wow, that's a good one. I, um, you talking about like social networking or networking like it going to clubs or In business? person. Yeah, business clubs. I mean, networking is a pretty broad term. Yeah, but I have to admit, when I first got into software, I thought I was pretty good. And all of a sudden, I didn't know the language, so I really embarrassed myself until I, because uh, I thought I could jump in with the sharks and I wasn't ready. So I think uh, I remember it was back, uh, back in 1996, 97 when that happened. I was totally embarrassed because I thought I was knew my game and I knew nothing. So looking back on that, would you still think the advice is jump in with the sharks or would you, do you wish you would have stepped back a little bit before popping I in? Kept, I wish I would have kept my mouth closed and just listened. Ah. And that was a great metaphor for me. Sometimes better, you have two ears and one mouth, right? You got it. All right, last question. Your yep. favorite empowering quote. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Beautiful. Needs no explanation. Love it. Well, folks, there we go. Another episode of the Resiliency Ninja podcast has come to an end. We've heard Dave Sanderson here. Dave, tell me where people can get a hold of you. And also, I want to be sure we tell them how to get more information on your impact. Well, program. thank you. 
Thank you so much, Oz. I truly appreciate it. So best way is to go to my website at davesandersonspeaks.com. I, you can leave me a voicemail, an email. I, I respond to everybody. You can learn a little bit about me. And, and on there, likewise, I'm, I'm really my focus right now. And I need help because, as you heard, my focus is to impact 1,000 people. I mean, personally impact 1,000 people next year. And for me to be able to do that, I need to have at least eight to 10 people that I can teach on how to do this. So not only can we impact 1,000 people, we can impact 100,000 people and ultimately a million people. So you go to text 797979 and put the word BRACE, the number four impact in. You'll see a little video about what we're doing with this. And I would love. Uh, we'd really love for you to apply to be a part of this because I'm only taking about 100 people because part of this, Alice, part of this impact group is these people will get access not only to my content but my mentor's content and 12 times a year, one time a month, I'll be have access one-on-one -on -one with my mentors, which you know we've talked about a few of them on this call today. Yes. So you know, if you want to have access to some of the greatest mentors in, in North America and in Europe, Please uh, just check it out. I would love for you to be a part of this, uh, my impact group. Well, and like we said earlier, who you spend your time with is, uh, and you know, this is often a theme with my guests when they come on this show, is who you spend your time with is going to dictate where you are in five years from now. That's right. Who you hang out with in the books you read. And so that is definitely something. What I'm going to do, Dave, is be sure that I put that information with the code and everything in the show notes. So, Thank you very much. Um, yeah, you're welcome for that. Thank you for being here. And uh, to the Resiliency Ninja listeners out there, definitely touch base with me at r-ninja.com. You can get all the links for Dave and for myself in the show notes. And if you love this, please be sure to share it review it, subscribe, and so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for being here. And until next time, do not let those obstacles get in the way of your success. Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.